0: If you'd like to better understand which financial KPIs make the most sense for your organization, join us in the KPIs Every Financial Controller and FPNA Should Master event. In this 60 minute webinar, Paul Barnhurst, the founder of the FPNA Guy, will dive into the key metrics every financial controller and FPNA professional should master, focusing on the formulas behind the numbers and the reason behind implementing their tracking in the first place. The webinar will take place on October 19th, starting from 12 p.m. EST. No matter what type of company or organization you work for, you won't want to miss this event. So find the link in the episode resources or head over to bbowl.com forward slash webinar hyphen subscription to register. Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Rose Pankunas. Rose is the founder and CEO of Sadozi, the strategic finance tool helping operators save time and money through automated visibility into the data that matters most, from approvals to budget variance insights. Prior to founding Sadozi, Rose was a CFO at a number of hyper-growth organizations, including Scale Factor, Fundbox, and Uber. At Uber, Rose was the second hire on strategic finance and helped grow the finance organization to hundreds of employees. Rose received her MBA from UCLA Anderson and has an undergraduate economics degree from MIT. She lives in Austin, Texas with her husband and two young boys. Rose, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I'm excited to be here, Megan. Yeah, today we're going to be learning about you and your company, Sidozo, Sidozi. sorry, and I'm looking forward yeah. to this conversation, so let's jump right in. Great. As always, let's start with you, your career journey, and how it is that you ended up where you are today.
1: Yeah, um... Even in college or even high school, I was always a generalist. I, I loved data, love loved business operations and, and community, um, getting involved in community pretty regularly. Um, you know, as I uh, went through college and post-college, first few jobs were fairly analytical. Um, I was um, actually not in finance, but worked very closely with the finance teams doing data science analytics, um, whether it's revenue maximization or figuring out different cost structures. Um, so I've worked in peer groups to finance uh, at, at Apple and, and some other opportunities. Um, and in 2013, I had the opportunity to join Uber, running pricing. Um, and that role was actually in finance, so within the CFO's um, domain. And that's the first time I got exposure to the full spectrum of finance and accounting. Um, so I was the second strategic finance hire at Uber and I oversaw pricing, which wow. meant any new UberX launch at the time that was really you know, the transition from Black Car <laughs> to, to UberX. Um, and so any new launch, really different business model, having the peer-to-peer driver um, thinking about different. Uh, dynamics in different markets, uh, and working working with operations teams and uh, everyone else in the organization to to nail that perfect price <laughs> for for to achieve our objectives, right? Whether it was growth or revenue, um, and so um, yeah, that that's kind of the first time I was in uh, a finance role formally, and. Um, was at Uber for about four years. Did a number of different responsibilities, um, one of which was overseeing the U.S. and Canada PNL. So several billion dollars. Um, we were actually still forecasting in Google Sheets, <laughs> and um, you know because the, the our systems and our technology hadn't caught up with the, the business growth. But we eventually moved to different systems and much more automation um, at Uber. So I left Uber in 2017 and joined a startup called Funbox. Um, they are one of the original B2B fintechs. Um, so we have offices in San Francisco, Tel Aviv, um, and Dallas. Um, and I, I was VP of finance in that role in that at that company. And that was your pretty traditional VP of finance role, oversaw um, accounting, fp strategic finance, and actually capital markets in that role because we did have a lending component of the business. Um, fast forward a little bit, took a little bit of time off in Miami, a few months there, started family, uh, and about two years ago, um, or maybe two and a half years ago, actually, uh, we moved to Austin. I was the CFO at Scale Factor. Uh, Scale Factor um, was a B two B company that sold software to help automate bookkeeping and accounting services. Uh, unfortunately, that that um, that role didn't quite work out. The company didn't quite work out during COVID. There are a lot of um, you know, situations with the macro environment that um, weren't <laughs> as expected. And I left and, and started my own venture, and, and um, well, I took a little bit of time off first. Um, and so I reflected on just my experience running finance at these growth stage startups, and the lack of tooling I had to really automate uh, the workflow and um, and and do more, um, you know, be more efficient with me and my team. Right? There's a lot of um, manual data management and. Uh, I believe that there's a set of tools at the mid-market and the growth stage company that, um, that can make the processes and strategic finance more efficient. So that's how I started Sudozi. And uh, we've been at it for about a year and a half and, and working with a number of, of customers, uh, primarily venture-backed, but in, us, in some other industries as well. And I think you studied economics
0: as an undergrad? That's right.
1: Yeah. Yes, I did. So,
0: how did that, along with your early um, experience with pricing, like how how do you feel like that mm-hmm. gave you a competitive edge as you progressed along yeah. your career?
1: Yeah. So funny story about economics. Um, I uh, I sort of um, stumbled into economics because I actually started out in um, in civil engineering and a couple other engineering uh, options. And I was playing volleyball, and I, I was like, I don't feel passionate enough about these engineering um, uh, degrees to trade off um, being in athletics. And so I chose a major that actually didn't have many labs that I needed to, to attend. Um, but I was fascinated by economics anyway, so I was like, this is a great major to pick. Um, and so that's how I wound up in uh, studying economics at MIT. And uh, you know what a what a fantastic program to, to study economics. You have, um, the best professors and thought leaders in the area, yeah. um, on what, whether it's macro or micro pricing. Um, and so that, uh, I would, you know, I, it's hard for me to reflect on any specific course, but the way, um, you know, that at MIT and economics, you, you're you taught to think a certain way yeah. and think about opportunity costs and think about, things that are not directly measured. Um, And so that way of thinking has really, I would say, given me an edge, not just at Uber, but everywhere else in my career.
0: And it must have taken a lot of courage to kind of leave the corporate world and launch your own startup, especially in the midst Mm -hmm. of a pandemic. So what Mm -hmm. has that experience been like? and, And how did you work up the courage to do that?
1: Yeah, um, I really feel passionate about bringing more automation, um, whether it's workflow automation or AI and ML automation to uh, finance and accounting. And I think um, if the data is not uh, you know systematically tracked in a workflow and it's not digitized, it's very hard to do the the forecasting, right? And so that's what I saw in a number of companies where. you know, spreadsheets are great, um, but we, you know, we as a finance profession, we're, we're, um, I would say, losing opportunities to be more efficient in our work by ha- by using spreadsheets for every part of the process. You know, there are parts of the process where, uh, whether it's you know, if it's a brand new business or things that are changing every week, you should probably use Excel or Google Sheets. Right? That there's nothing as dynamic as that. But as the process gets more regular, as um, the forecasting and the business model starts to stabilize a little bit, you can apply more automation. And so I just felt really passionate that there, we're, um, we're at this inflection point in the finance and accounting profession where um, the, the people who are leaders in this area are open to more technology and there is an opportunity to bring more technology to the profession. So let's talk about Sadozi. First of all, where did, mm-hmm. where did the name come from? <laughs> Yeah, well, the URL was available, so that was a big part. <laughs> um, the name. Um, so I was actually born in Shanghai, and I, you know, I, I grew up speaking Chinese with my parents, and um, it means uh, basically bean counting in Chinese. It's a little bit abbreviated, um, but you know, there's a joke that you know accountants are bean counters, and they're just you know counting beans, which uh, not always true, especially these days. But it's a play on that. Um, that bureaucratic and old-fashioned way of thinking of things, but bringing a modern edge to it, which is what we're doing with our software. And let's
0: talk about the software. So how does it work? Does it sit on top of uh, ERP or how, how does the yeah. product work?
1: Yep, great question. So um, we have two, um, three primary features. Um, one is our vendor management system. And so um, you know, right now, essentially, if you look at any... Maybe most companies are keeping track of their vendors in the system that they pay the vendor, right? So whether it's bill.com or uh, maybe Stripe, um, but you, you don't have a comprehensive list of vendors uh, with the contract information there, with the um, point of contact. So think of like Salesforce, but for your vendors, right? Like if, um, if you pay something by wire is that going to be in your bill.com? Maybe, maybe not. Um, So we have a vendor management system, which allows you to essentially store all information about the vendor, including different services, so that as you're forecasting um, and and building up your budget, you have all the different services, the cost per seat, and all the data that you need for that vendor. And then... um, So that's for mainly existing matters. Then we have a requisition uh, automation, essentially an approval process that is customizable on the front end. And so let's say you have a policy where anything above $10,000 needs to be reviewed by FP&A. Anything over $25,000 needs to be reviewed by the CEO. Um, So you can essentially automate those rules in our platform so that it saves time for the finance team and also saves time for someone requesting... A new contract, right? They don't have to, you know, go read the expense policy. They're they they feel more confident submitting the request and being able to track all the steps that uh, and the approvals that are needed. And so that's all that's very customizable. Then the third part is where it does sit on top of uh, today QuickBooks and NetSuite, um, and essentially we do a budget tracking, a um, budget reporting workflow. Um, Today, you know, a lot of um, there are other FPNA forecasting tools and whatnot. And so the companies that we have are maybe a little bit young for a full blown um, forecasting and planning tool, um, but they do need something to help automate the tracking of their budget. And so let's say you've, you've put out a budget, you know, the boards approved it, and now it's month end. Uh, what's your process? Your process is probably going to QuickBooks, download your GL or download some report. And then put that into Excel, um, do some lookup formulas, have something that compares this budget line versus these four or five GL accounts. And it's highly manual, right? So what we allow is for an individual, a finance leader to upload their budget and then um, hook that up directly to your QuickBooks or your NetSuite. So then you can map multiple GL accounts to one budget line. Um, You can actually give permissions for different GL accounts to different business leaders so that it's a much more dynamic permissioning. And and if you want to enable your business partners to really be owners of the company, you want them to have the transparency for the transactions that are related to their department. Um, So we see marketing leaders come in. You can set up a configuration where you have just your marketing accounts that they have access to. And um, essentially, from end to end, the requests of vendor management to the budget tracking, they have all the, their finance needs in one tool. Sounds like a
0: really cool tool. Um,
1: <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> so
0: ideal client, like what size yeah. or industry or is there an industry that mm-hmm. is more compatible with?
1: yeah so right now we work really well with with sub software companies that are or marketplace companies um in uh, i would say the hundred to growing to two hundred employee um size um, why well because those companies have you know they have a finance team that you know three or four people between accounting the controller f p a and the head of finance and um they are trying to do a bit more automation. They're being asked within their companies to really be thought leaders and what we call business model architects, right? Like finance accounting, you always need to do the reporting and you always need to be the the source of truth for the metrics. But more and more of your job is now partnering with other departments to help them forecast what is the most impactful thing they can be doing for the company's growth, whether it's new products whether it's marketing lovers. And so we want to enable those um, small but mighty finance teams to automate more of the reporting component and spend more of their time partnering with uh, different department leads to, to help drive growth for the company.
0: And, and that's those of you who wear a lot of hats. You're the founder, you're the CEO, you're the CFO. <laughs> yes. How do you yes. balance all of these roles and life?
1: Yeah. Well, first thing is I have an amazing team. So I'm I'm not doing any engineering. <laughs> I'm not doing any coding. And we have a really fantastic um, tech, product and engineering team and, and design as well. Um, and the other aspects of the role, you know, the, the sales, the marketing, um, the investor relations. Um, it it you know, as, as with any role, you know, doesn't have to be the CEO role. It Doesn't have to be the founder role. Um, you have a certain number of cycles and hours in the day you can dedicate to work, um, really evaluating the prioritization and, and thinking about how the effort I'm putting into one specific task is going to help the company and help other employees um, at the company. And so um, there definitely has to be a line drawn and I don't get to do everything I want, <laughs> um, especially with with family too. Um, but you know we make it work and... Um, I'm in, I, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, which is very important.
0: Yeah, and you've worked for Uber, you've worked for Scale Factor, and now you have your own startup. So, how have these different experiences influenced your career as a CFO, and in what ways?
1: Yeah, I've really um, been able to see the CFO role from a couple of different perspectives, right? Obviously, earlier on in my career, reporting up through the CFO, so from like an underneath perspective, then. Um, being in that VP finance and CFO role myself, and now being in sort of the founder, CEO and CFO hybrid role. um, I I think the the profession is is really um, fascinating. I think the CFO's mandate at companies is becoming more and more about that business partnership and about that um, driving growth for the company. Uh, And the best CFOs uh, I've seen Really could wear multiple hats <laughs> at the company um, and uh, and particularly you know a, a much more analytical one than uh, and the trajectory is being much more analytical and helping with the the forecasting and helping with the predictions at the company and wearing
0: your CFO hat like what are your priorities? when it comes to growing Sadozi, how are you deciding where to allocate Mm -hmm. capital? And I mean, how do you grow a business?
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting, um, especially during these times, because when we raised our seed round, um, there were, when, when any company raises any round, there are some expectations for the milestones that you need to meet for the next round, right? And every company that raised a round last year now is having their, miles, um, their next round milestone shifted in, in different ways, some industries more than others. And so um, you know, there, there's always a balance of what time period um, your object- objectives are for. Right? And so we could be building technology that helps our customers in a two-year time frame Right, or we could be building marketing campaigns that help us get more customers in the six-month time frame. And so, um, before allocating resources, really evaluate—you know, with myself, my team, and the board—what are the goals and what time frame are we actually trying to optimize for? Um, there's not always going to be a clear answer; it might change every day. <laughs> um, but but having that general understanding then allows you to allocate both. Dollars and my time, right? Um, so, should I be doing uh, more work uh, with a, a sales demo, or should I be, you know, reconnecting with another customer we have? And so, um, it, it, it's tricky, and it, it changes day by day. Um, but uh, it, it's a fun, it's that's the fun of it.
0: <laughs> and you're a self-proclaimed data nerd. So, what is your advice to companies? I mean, there's so much data available these days mm-hmm. how do you how do you know which data is important and which data you can ignore
1: yeah that's a great point um, so I um, and this you know this isn't of course every situation you know ch- the answer changes for for different situations um, but I like to go into projects and into um, discoveries with a little bit of a Thesis, right? And then you can argue that, um, you know, then you're just like chasing the data to validate your thesis. But sometimes the data doesn't validate your thesis, right? And so um, this is, you know, the 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 general criticism of like the you know all sorts of like machine learning, right? Like you could almost can always um, if you look at a data set in like enough ways, yeah. you can almost always prove out something. Um, but I, so I think it's important to have um, even if it's the approach of how we should look at something, and I don't know what the answer is, um, ha- having a little bit of a hypothesis going into something I think is important. Um, then being aware of when to extrapolate data I think is very important. I think something that I've seen um, potentially data misused is um, you know you run an A B experiment and it results in A. And then you, your company decides to do A. But then the future state of that company is actually very different from when you ran that A-B experiment. You know, maybe the, you ran that experiment only on mobile users and now you're extrapolating it to all users. You know, so really being careful about even if the results of an you know, experiment was X, should we actually apply that um, and, and make further decisions based on that? So I think that's, that's something that I've seen That I think companies can be more careful about is just understanding what the future state is. And if it's the same, if if it's similar enough to the state that the experiment was done on. And your
0: software powers real time decisions and revenue optimization Mm -hmm. for millions of users. So, how vital are these real time decision making tools Mm -hmm. for CFOs?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, we have a couple of different places where we, we do believe. There's this true real-time decision making. One is on our um, request. We call it a spend request workflow. Um, and so, you know, at at, at our companies that, that we partner with, um, sometimes people are assigning contracts, but they don't know that there is an approval pro- uh, process, right? And so the finance team gets surprised by an invoice. Let's say it's a twenty thousand dollar invoice, and they're like, you know, what is this? <laughs> um, and so what we allow is. To have a standard process, I would say like a pre-approval process, even before the invoice gets generated, having the ability to course correct or even optimize, or maybe even sign a bigger contract, right? Um, and so there are opportunities sort of in real time, potentially these are like Slack messages or emails that sometimes come across, but if you don't have a consistent process and, and policy around getting approvals for things, um, you might miss opportunities to, to interject early. So that's one area. The second area is our um, what we call real-time budget tracking. Um, and essentially, here we take advantage of the corporate cards today that do have automated rules and can essentially get booked in near real time. So you don't have to wait until month end to look at in a specific account um, if the transactions are flowing through it, and there isn't if there isn't you know accrual treatment or any sort of like fancy treatment you need to do on this a, a transaction. You can actually start to Build up in real time what your budget versus actual is for certain accounts. Um, in this case, you know the most popular one is marketing, where you can see how your LinkedIn ads, your Google ads, your Facebook Meta ads are trending throughout the month because you're getting charged for them <laughs> throughout the month. Um, and so, you know, it's it's uh, of course you can do this manually. You can pull reports from these tool- tools and then. Plug them into your spreadsheet and, and and do a bunch of work, but we essentially connect those dots right away, so you can very easily see visually um, where you are trending with uh, particularly marketing budget. And are there any other tools
0: or technologies that you're using as a CFO that are that are helping to make your life easier?
1: Oh yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of of testing out um, different tools. So obviously, at, at Sudozy, we use Sudozy. Um, I, I you know I like quickBooks I'm <laughs> um, I, I think you know we have a we have a set of software products that sit on top of QuickBooks really nicely and and quickBooks is is great to to do um, all the basic things you need to do um, with accounting of course um, we use slack heavily in terms of communication um, notion is another one our team uses particularly for product planning design um, and our engineering team uses github. Um, and so, yeah, I think there there are a number of tools these days that just help make our communication and workflow more efficient.
0: And what advice would you give for CFOs who are just starting out as a CFO?
1: I think it's very important to build those relationships with your other department leaders um, and understand what are the levers that um, can really help drive their output. Um, being just being friends with them is important. Right? Like people like to um, share information with people who are nice and, and are friendly and are fun. Um, so I think building those relationships and, and which will facilitate the two-way data transfer and the communication is 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 very really important. And then the second thing I'd say, focusing on your own team, um, understand where you're strong and where you could use support. Uh, so for me personally, you know I. I've done accounting on the job. I haven't had formal training in accounting. So I've always enjoyed working with really strong controllers and accountants and I kind of nerd out on different things. But um, but I have I found that really important to hire for um, complementary skill sets on the team. And then the third part is the tooling and automation and think about how you can make your team efficient. Um, think about what, what's going to incentivize someone to join your team, right? Is it a lot of... Uh, data management, or is it going to be more business partnership and, and having the data components automated? Um, so that's where the tooling comes in. Uh, you don't need to go out and buy you know, $100,000 software. There are many other tools on the market today, including Sudozi, that help you make your processes more efficient. Um, and I think it's... it's um, I would encourage CFOs to be a little bit adventurous and, and test things out um, with, with the tools that are on the market today.
0: And you posted on LinkedIn that, quote, for any finance leader today, striking the balance between continued growth and burn minimization is key. So Mm -hmm. what is your advice for doing that? Because it's not easy these days.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think, um, again, it depends on, on the company, but if you start with a couple objectives, so let's say you want to have at least twenty four months runway, maybe thirty, depending on the industry you're in, um, and then working backwards, right? So what do you have to believe about your your monthly burn? What do you have to believe about your growth rate? are you um, is your revenue going to be impacted, right? Because as companies look to cut costs, your revenue is probably someone else's expense. And so understanding, how the different levers in your business are going to change. Um, but I think having that, that objective function of like, okay, I need to have at least you know, X number of months of runway. Um, and then working back from backwards from there. Otherwise you're gonna be you know going in circles <laughs> all day. And as a leader, how
0: have you mentored your team to achieve this, the goals that you have set at Sadozi?
1: Yeah. I- I think it's no different from any you know, CFO partnering with different department leaders. Right. So I have a, a we have a smaller team or we're, we're 10 people. And so I understand, and I work closely with every single person, you know, we have weekly one-on-ones um, and I, I understand, I want to understand their professional goals and their personal goals and see how I can um, assign projects or how they can get exposed to different responsibilities that help maximize, one of those objectives for them. Um, and so I, I actually think it's very parallel to uh, a larger company CFO role, um, working with, with my team now. And
0: what's your advice for, for breaking down walls and gaining trust with, with other departments as a CFO?
1: One thing I've done, well, I'm, believe it or not, it's actually very hard to startle me or get me really rally up. <laughs> and so even when, um, Marketing leaders have like accidentally, you know, bought two x of some campaign that they thought they were buying. Um, I have a very a fairly calm way of interacting with them, and um, and then it doesn't like make them want to hide things from me, right? And so even if something isn't the best news, um, trying to uh, be aware. Of the way that you're reacting to something, whether it's over, particularly over email or electronic communication, it can come off in the wrong way. Um, so, coming, being aware of how you are reacting to news from different departments or surprises from different departments um, can go a long way in building relationships with um, with with your counterparts. Um, so that that's sort of sort of one tip I have. Um, the other one at, at Funbox and other companies, you know, we would have. We would organize you know lunches, and it wouldn't have to be just finance, and we would call it like finance and friends. Um, so just having somewhat informal opportunities to to get to know the different um, groups for for yourself and then for your the, the FPNA or controllers on your team too, that's helpful as well. And then the third thing uh, I found successful is sharing out to other teams what the finance team is up to. And so, for example, when we went through a Carta implementation, um, we, we gave updates to the team. We went through our audit. We gave, you know, not detailed updates, but general updates to the team on where we are, what, what the audit is used for. Um, so the more you share out to other members of the team, the more they're going to be inclined to share with you as well. That's great advice. So lastly, as a
0: CFO, what is keeping you up at night, if anything?
1: Oh everything <laughs> yeah. um but but keeping me on the night isn't isn't always bad right it's just really um it's really exciting to be in the economy in this time and running a company right now. I think it's um testing my leadership and and, and testing um the the leaders of every company in a in a good way, right thinking about how to navigate the environment um, for venture backed companies thinking about when to raise whether it's an extension or the next round. Um so and then the other you know fascinating thing going back to analytics and data is like the models that you've built, um, are those models still valid? Do you need to change different assumptions about how um customers are coming in, about how um growth is is being driven at your company. And so um from a sort of a data nerd perspective is really fascinating (laughs) and keeping me up at night. but i would say overall, like I, I really enjoy the journey, and it's it's about you know thinking thinking about how I can um, help grow the company, but then also help grow and, and work with the people at the company uh, during this time.
0: Yeah, I like that perspective. They're not challenges, but but they're adventures. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Rose, thank you so much for being my guest today.:
1: Oh, you're welcome really uh, excited to have this chat. Yeah, I really enjoyed
0: speaking with you and hearing about you and uh, Sadozi, and I wish you both all the all the best. It sounds like uh, sounds like you're going to go far. So, thank you, I appreciate it, Megan. To all of our listeners, please tune in next week, and until then, take care.